Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Baker and this is Mama Stories. I created Mama Stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be in overcoming the challenges of motherhood. I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can. So follow along to laugh, cry, and be empowered. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Have you heard about how we are changing the story for moms? Mama Fund is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing products, services, and education to moms in need. So check us out at mamafund.org. Welcome to the podcast today, Erin. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for coming all the way out to my house. Yes, well, and thanks for hosting me here. My pleasure. All the thanks. And I hit the table. That's okay. <laughs> I told you it's going to happen. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it's life. Um, all right, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Erin? Okay, well, I am Erin Simmons. I am a kind of part-time for friend doula. Um, I am a mom to four boys, and I'm a full-time working mom. So you're a doula and you work. Yeah, I only do doula work for friends at this point, and it's kind of rare. Like, I haven't done one in about a year, but I have a friend due any second. Today's actually her due date, so hopefully I'll be doing something this week. Maybe you'll get a call while we're on the podcast. Yeah, hopefully not. (laughs) You're right. Hopefully she can wait just like 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that would be wonderful. Okay, we'll make sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so part-time doula just for friends. Is that something you want to do full-time? Maybe eventually. Yeah, um, I'm really passionate about birth and... Um, newborns and breastfeeding and all of that sort of stuff, um, mostly because of my own birth journey, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yes. um, I, I got really passionate about it after I had my second C-section um, and really didn't want to have another C-section and kept getting turned down by doctors. So mm. um, I kind of took a whole different path for um, where I was going with my third and it kind of bore this beautiful passion for birth. So so let's talk about your first experience. So was mm-hmm. your first birth an emergency C-section or? Yes and no. I mean, they called it emergency, um, but it wasn't like I had to be put under or anything of that okay. nature, but it was kind of a, um, a cascade of interventions mm. that I really didn't need, uh, ending with forceps and um, oh, wow. my son's heart rate disappeared off the monitor. And when they found it, it was at like 30 beats per minute. Um, and then they waited and it kind of slowly went up and then I had to be taken into a C-section immediately. Um, and then during the C-section, because he was so low in the birth canal, I ended up getting a bucket handle tear. So that's, um, either side of the incision down the uterus, all the way to the cervix ripped all the way. Um, which I didn't find out about until the next day. Um, but they were trying to keep me from bleeding out on the table. Um, it was really traumatic and awful. So leading up to that, like, Mm -hmm. was your labor pretty normal? Like you were just laboring in a hospital and then that's when they found out that his heart rate dropped. Yeah. I mean, everything was pretty normal, but they gave me an epidural when I was barely four centimeters. So it was really too early. They broke my water right away and I was just stuck in a bed all day long. And so he couldn't get into the right position. Um, and the back probably like left corner of his head was what was presenting. He was sunny side up, but also kind of sideways. Um, 
And so he just was stuck. And I think if I had been up and moving, he would have wiggled into a better position. Um, But then he also had meconium when they broke the water. Mm. So they gave me something called an amnio infusion, which I had never heard of before. And I've never heard of anybody having it after me either. But they basically just put a tube into my uterus with water like trying to flush out the meconium, I guess. Um, it no, Nobody really does it anymore. Um, it's kind of an old um, old OB thing that newer huh. OBs don't do very often, um, but it wasn't coming back out. So at some point, my stomach was just rock hard. I felt like I was having a nonstop con- contraction um, and they realized it wasn't coming out. So then they had to remove it. It was, I mean, like everything they did was just like intervention, intervention, intervention. And one, one intervention they started led to the next one, which would, you know, like if I hadn't yeah. had the epidural so early, I wouldn't have had to have the next thing. And then, you know, right, right. So did it feel like you were brought into that conversation of like, Hey, this is what we're going to do next. Are you feeling comfortable with that? Or do you feel like you were just like thrown into like, you're just a mom on the table and we're just going to tell you as the experts what to do. You know, they gave me options sort of, but not really. I mean, they worded it yeah. in a way that I had an option, but I didn't, I just trusted, you know? Well, and you don't know. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I can see now, I can start to see why a doula mm-hmm. is more the path that you would go down because I'm so fortunate that nothing like that happened, but I've heard so many yeah. stories where, you know, you feel like that you're, you know, given all this information, but really like who's the benefit there, right? Right. Like, is it the hospital? They're just trying to, you know, get you to have the baby as soon as possible, or is it the doctor and their methods or what is it? Right. And as the mom in labor, you just kind of just want the baby out. Right. Yeah. At that point you're like, can we just be done? (laughs) Whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's scary. Like heart drops. Oh, so scary. I can only imagine like people rushing in and what Mm -hmm. that looks like. And And it was basically, you know, have a C-section or your baby could die. So what are you going to do at that point? Right. You're going to have a C-section. Right. Because if you risk it in any way and something happens, then it's always on you. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. So you have your baby. Mm -hmm. Everything's fine after that. Or was there some recovery? I mean, recovery was rough due to the the tear. Um, And because I'd been in labor, let me think, I went into labor with him on Tuesday and he wasn't born until Thursday at um, 11 at night. So I think I went into labor on Tuesday around eight at night. Um, and I, I labored a lot at home, um, but I was in the hospital all day Thursday. I think we got there at like seven in the morning, something like wow. that. So by the time he was born, I hadn't eaten in over 24 hours. They don't let me have water, you know, all those things. So I was so exhausted oh my uh, gosh. by the end. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was a traumatic birth. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that it would be. And he you know, he was a rainbow baby. So mm. um, I had had three miscarriages prior to him. Um And so, you know, I remember laying there and them telling me like he could die and just thinking, oh my God, I killed him, you know, because I chose to have forceps over the um, C-section. They said, we need to either go to C-section right away or have forceps. And I didn't want a C-section. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just trust him. And that's when his heart rate dropped. And so I just remember thinking, oh my God, I killed him. It was awful. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's when the forceps came. Mm -hmm. So they said, these are your two options. You tried the forceps that didn't work. So then you went and had the C-section. Well, they said his heart rate was dropping, like his D cells were dropping too low, um, which now that I know better, I actually got my hospital records and they were never dangerous. Um, Mm. But that's when they decided to do either C-section or forceps and the forceps are what dropped his heart rate like extraordinarily low. Mm. Yeah. Oh man, I'm so sorry. That's, you know, that's not a way to go into motherhood. No, it was not fun at all. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, you experienced three miscarriages. Three. Yep. That's Well, I've traumatic. actually had five, but I had three before my first son was born. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That has to make all those pregnancy scares 10 times worse mm-hmm. after that. Yep. Really scary. You know, it's like you can't enjoy being pregnant at all until you can really start feeling them move and have that daily assurance. Um, it, it's really hard to connect to it. Yeah. Um, at least for me, it was. I don't yeah. know that no, it's heard, like that for everybody, but. I've heard similar things before. Mm-hmm. So how did you handle that? Like, how did you plan to have the next one after that and then the next one? Like- you know, um, the first one was, um, I was, I actually had the chicken pox when I found out I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. So my stepson, um, I have a stepson who's 18 now, but he was, I think he was turning seven. I think he was turning seven. He had a birthday party, a bowling alley birthday party. We had so much fun. The next morning his mom calls, Michael has the chicken pox. I was like, oh no, I've never had them. Like instantly panicked. And two weeks to the day later, there they were for me. So I had the chicken pox and we were trying to get pregnant. So I took a test the next day and it was positive. And um, when you have the chicken pox in early pregnancy, there can be all sorts of birth defects, like missing limbs, um, all sorts of things. Wow. Something about the chicken pox. Yeah, it could be the fevers, maybe. I don't know. Um, But I was really scared. So I called my doctor and they put me on. an antiviral medication pretty quickly, but I lost the baby within three days. So like Mm. that was really fast. I was in the middle of chicken pox while having a miscarriage. So that wasn't super fun, but there, there was at least a little bit of peace about it in that, like, I didn't know what would happen to the baby because I had chicken pox. Um, so, you know, it was hard, but it wasn't the hardest. Yeah. You know, um, and then a year later, took a whole nother year to get pregnant. Um, and I had to go on Clomid because I was having trouble ovulating. Um, we got pregnant again and I lost that baby at about 10 weeks. Um, and then several months later, got pregnant again, lost that baby at about 10 weeks. So. Did you tell anybody but before the 12 week mark or before the 10 weeks? You know, they all blur together. Some of them, yes, I did. And some of them I didn't. Yeah. Um, I think the ones that were easier to deal with were the ones where people knew though, Mm. uh, because then I wasn't alone in it. Yeah. Um, I've always been really, really open about my miscarriages, which sometimes makes people a little uncomfortable, but like my ultimate goal is to help other moms going through it. Yeah. Cause you can feel so alone. Oh, I can't even imagine. So alone. And I remember, you know, before Isaac, uh, was born, Isaac's the, the birth that I had the tear with, um, I, I, before I got pregnant with him, I remember I would just like hate pregnant women, mm. you know, like I'd see one and I'd just be like, Ur. and it, it was so unfair to them. Right. Like, I don't know how they got pregnant or what their journey was, yeah. but I just remember feeling so bitter about it. Yeah. And then one day something just kind of f- switched in me mm-hmm. and, um, I realized that I was being extraordinarily selfish, <laughs> but well, also just natural. I totally get that. Yeah. Like, I can only imagine how that must feel. Mm -hmm. I've had friends go through like IVF before and I felt uncomfortable being pregnant around them. Right. Um, And so I can only imagine the tables turned and how they felt around me. Um, It's just hard either way, but it's totally justified. I mean, you're like, you want to start a family Mm -hmm. and it's been so hard. And then there's women walking down the street that are like popping bellies and you're like, what? Well, and my job is working with the public. So I spent all day, every day seeing pregnant women Mm. um, around. I work in a locally owned grocery store. So um, they're 
pregnant ladies everywhere. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was hard to see that, especially like in the midst of a loss, like right after losing um, one of the babies. But um, we got to a point where I didn't want to have any more miscarriages. So I said, forget it. Let's just adopt. Um, and you were a stepmom at this point. I was a stepmom. Yep. So did that add another layer of maybe hardship because you wanted to be a mom yourself? Totally. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I mean, I love Michael with every piece of myself. I've known him since he was two. So, um, he doesn't really remember me not being around, which is awesome. We have a great relationship, but there's something about having your own babies, right? So, um, I definitely wanted to have my own kids, but I got to a point where I said, you know what, these are, it's too hard. I can't, I can't keep getting my hopes up and you know, Mm. thinking everything's going to be fine and then having it not. Um, Because the doctor told me that once you see a heartbeat, you only have like a 3% chance of miscarriage at that point. And out of all five of my uh, miscarriages, the only heartbeat I didn't see was the one with the chicken pox. So like all of them had heartbeats that I saw. Um, Did they say why? Has anybody told you like why? Is there a reason? Yes and no. So they thought it might have been a progesterone issue. Uh, for me. And so with um, Isaac and Benjamin, my middle son, I went on um, progesterone that like the day I found out I was pregnant, I called the doctor and got what supplements. Is progest- what is that? So it's a, a <laughs> hormone that your body creates when you're pregnant and it helps nourish Okay. Uh, everything. I think it also helps develop the placenta. So it's kind of a big... So you're saying your body was lacking. Yeah, that. like it didn't okay. produce enough of it. Got it. Um, so I went on a supplement right away with both of them um, and everything was fine. But then after Benjamin, I had two more miscarriages and I also went on progesterone right away. So who knows? Ugh. You know, who knows? Uh, the last one we did have genetic testing on um, and it was a boy. <laughs> Surprise, I have all boys. Um, <laughs> but he had something called Klinefelter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't really explain why we miscarried. Lots of men have Klinefelter syndrome and don't find out till they're adults. What is that? So it's uh, they have two X chromosomes and a Y instead mm-hmm. of just an XY. Okay. So um, a lot of times they'll, they don't even find out they have it until they're trying to have kids and they realize they don't have any sperm or um, things it. like that. Yeah. Got it. Man, you really know a lot. I mean, I guess it is being a doula, but also that's a lot of stuff. Well, to just... I'm a total researcher. So oh, like okay. when something goes funky in my life, I'm like, I'm going to dive in and figure it all You're out. Like, give me all the Googles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all a pro- it. it's not good for me. <laughs> Don't Google. But at the same time, it, there's something about it brings me a little bit of peace just to sure. have knowledge. Yeah. So. Well, and I think that's literally, I think the job of a doula, right. Is right. like to have all the knowledge to help kind of guide mm-hmm. somebody, yep. but not give the like, yes or no, yep. do this or don't do this. Well, answer. exactly. Yeah. The scope of a doula is just to su- give information and support whatever decision mom and dad birthing person yeah need so yeah 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 man okay so now you have your first son Isaac mm-hmm. yep and then you get pregnant again yeah pretty quick okay. um and unexpectedly we weren't trying Isaac had just turned one and we found out less than a month later we were pregnant with Benjamin um and everything went fine with him we had a really good pregnancy. Um, I was not allowed to have a VBAC. I asked for one and the doctor said no. The hospital I was at didn't even allow VBACs at the time. And, and that's when you deliver uh, vaginally, vaginally after having, after yeah, it's C-section. vaginal birth after C-section okay. VBAC. Um, so they just told me no. And I, again, kind of was like, okay, well I can't. So mm-hmm. um, I planned a second C-section, but I went into labor early, uh, two weeks early. So um, my water broke in the middle of the night. 
got up to use the bathroom. Those are always fun. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking, oh, maybe he'll be a smaller baby. He's two weeks early. No, he was nine pounds and three ounces. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he's still kind of just like a solid kid. Yeah. Um, he's going to turn eight on Saturday and he, the boy's got abs. Like he's just built Yeah. <laughs> that kid. Um, yeah. So everything was good with him. And that's when you decided, though, that you wanted to become a doula, you were saying, after your second C-section? Yeah, I wasn't, like, right after the C-section, but, like, a couple years later, I really started, like, looking into why can't I have a VBAC, yeah. um, that sort of thing. And we were on the fence about whether we wanted to have another one or not. It was like, okay, we had three miscarriages, we have these two beautiful boys and Michael as well, do we want to even go there? But it just didn't feel complete to me. Yeah. Um, so we decided to try again and lost two, um, mm. pretty back to back. Um, I think we lost one in March and one in like August. So it was like, boom, boom. Um, and then we decided, you know what, we're done. Like, I don't want to do yeah. it anymore. Gave away all of our baby stuff, everything. And then January the following year, oopsie, <laughs> pregnant again. <laughs> um, and it was terrifying because I started bleeding like the day oh, I wow. found out I was pregnant and I bled the entire first trimester. No way. The whole time. And, um, you know, it was spotting, but still it was sure. constant. And I just, you know, we saw heartbeat. But again, to yeah. me, that meant nothing, you know, because yeah. I had seen it with all the others. Um, so it was really hard to connect for yeah. that one. But I think once I hit like the 11 week mark, that was like, okay, maybe we're going to, maybe we're going to stay pregnant. And we did. Mm. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's gotta be so hard. I think anytime I ever saw anything like a little bit of spotting, I was like in the doctor's the next day. So I can't imagine having like some already like established trauma Mm -hmm. and then to see that, that would be so hard. I basically had to disconnect and just like take my progesterone and act like I wasn't pregnant. Um, because for my own like mental health, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't be hoping all the time. Oh, um, I'm, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, I can't imagine, but I can. Right. So you had two miscarriages after you had your first two boys. Yep. Was that harder because now you had kids that you had to like, t- did you tell them that you were pregnant? Did you? I didn't tell okay. them I was pregnant. They all know about my miscarriages now. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm really open at, about it. And actually we named all of our babies. So mm. um, we like the boys know the baby's names and we have little rocks in our yard with each each child's mm. name including theirs um but I almost think I don't want to say it was easier mm. but it was nice to come home and snuggle my kids yeah you know um I also have this horrible problem where my body doesn't like to miscarry so four out of five I had to have dnc's for mm. um because my body just wouldn't yeah. let go so um I had to have procedures and be put under the whole shebang. So what's the recovery like for a DNC? You know, it's not rough. Um, it's just lots of cramping afterwards and you know, you bleed for just like after birth, you bleed for anywhere from a couple of weeks to several weeks. So, wow. Yeah. That's, ugh. well, thank you for sharing all that because I know that there's a mom out there who just needs to know she's not alone in any of that. That's my absolute goal with being open about miscarriage because it's so easy to feel isolated. Yeah. So What's your favorite thing about being a doula? Oh, I just love birth. It's a miracle every single time. It's yeah. different every single time. I've actually only done three births as a doula. Um, More than me. Right. <laughs> because I <laughs> have only done it for friends, but um, it, it's just magical. I love it. Are they home births or hospital births? You know, or? I've done um, 
two hospital births, one that was a C-section. So I was in the room with her and then um, one home, uh, one birth center birth. So, mm. yeah. I, my husband and I are like one and done. But mm-hmm. if we were to ever have a baby again, I would totally do it on a birth center. Yeah. Only because I got to interview a midwife mm-hmm. at a birth center and it was yeah. kind of like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Oh, I so was like, awesome. you can birth like this? Mm-hmm. Like. I'm sorry. It's not like sterile lights and right. uncomfortable beds. Yeah, people like don't hot know. Tubs and yeah, comfy beds. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. It's pretty. Ugh. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's a great. It's a great place to. Well, I guess I don't know. I could imagine it's a great place to give birth. And if I do it again, which I won't, <laughs> if I do it again, that's where I would do it at. Right. All right. So um, you talked about being a stepmom. Mm-hmm. So when you did have Isaac, was there any like? transition for you where you went from like oh I'm a stepmom now mom or did it just kind of feel like smooth and the same you know I think it was pretty natural for the most part because I've always been a baby person Mm. always like I've been drawn to babies since I was just a little kid so um I was pretty comfortable excuse me comfortable around uh babies but you know being a full-time on the job person as opposed to an occasional babysitter is a whole different gig yes um yeah and Isaac was a hard baby yeah. Um, he was a really hard baby. He, um, not as bad when he was very small, but when he started kind of getting interactive, he was hard. Mm, what do you mean? <laughs> really hard. Like, um, he, so we know now that he has sensory processing disorder. Um, he has ADHD and he has anxiety. Um, I also am pretty certain he's on the spectrum. Okay. Um, he doesn't have an official diagnosis for that, but I think he has mild autism as well. Um, and he would do things like wipe poo on the walls like every day mm. for months. Um, he bit from eight months to 18 months all day long. If he was happy, scared, excited, nervous, that's just how he dealt with the sensory input. Um, oh. So now that I know that looking back at it, yeah. um, I get it. But in the moment, like I remember at one point looking at my husband and being like, we tried so hard to have this baby and mm. I love him. And I do not like him. He's mean to me. Like, and I'm, I'm his safe person even now. Um, so when he struggles, he always needs mom. Yeah. Um, but he would scratch my neck. I would, I had scratch marks all over my arms and my neck and he'd pinch me, you know? Yeah. Um, all sorts of stuff. And like I said, now that I know about his sensory issues, I get it. He didn't know what to do with being overwhelmed. Um, but as a new mom with a kid that was just, yeah. uncontrollable. Yeah. He would have fits for two hours straight, just lose it. Um, and that was up until he was about six ish. And you said he's turning eight. He's t- this, my oldest is about to turn 10. Oh, 10. Yeah. He's okay. going to turn 10 in November. So the sensory disorder, mm-hmm. what is that? Like, so sensory processing disorder, um, there's people, uh, who are over, uh, oversensitized most of the time, like the, um, normal everyday noises might overwhelm them. Vacuum cleaners, uh, garbage trucks, uh, background noise, like his brother's making too much noise. If he's Mm. trying to talk, he can't talk to me until their noise stops. Um, that sort of thing. And then there's people who are attend, uh, sensory seekers. So they jump on things and they might run around or like a kid that's at the grocery store and can't stop running their hands across the the Mm. things on the aisle. They're seeking sensory input. Um, Isaac has both. So he's both a seeker and an avoider. So he's kind of hard to figure out. Sometimes things really bother him. And yeah. he needs headphones at a baseball game, but then he can make noise himself and it doesn't bother him. Interesting. Yeah. And that's something he's big diagnosed with. Yes. Okay. Yep. So what did that look like? Like, obviously you said when he was 
eight to 18 months, he would like bite or mm-hmm. do things like that. But now as he's transitioned, you said it lasted up until he was like six. So yeah, well, the fits lasted oh, until he was like okay. six. Yeah. He still has a lot of struggles. Like if we go to a baseball game, um, he, or fireworks, he needs to have noise canceling headphones just okay. to keep himself kind of sane. Um, he's really, really good at knowing when he's feeling overwhelmed. He's really learned that mm. about himself. Um, He's a very wise little guy. So he knows himself better than most adults know themselves, I feel mm. like. Um, and so he'll tell me, like, I need to go into my room. Cool. Go be by yourself. Um, That's good that he knows that. Mm-hmm. After school, a lot of times he'll go into his room for a little bit. He just has to, like, yeah. be still after all the noise. Are there challenges at school with that? There are. Yeah, he has a... Um, he has a swivel stool that he gets to sit on um, okay. in class to kind of keep himself moving because that's what keeps him uh, engaged. And I think that's more the ADHD, but um, yeah. that's what keeps him engaged. But he can sit and still be moving. Um, and that's been a life changer for him. Yeah. Is it hard? Like, I, I can just imagine sometimes in a classroom, especially in the early years, mm-hmm. like kindergarten, first grade, when kids are set free, like to do an activity yeah. or whatever it may be, the noise mm-hmm. that can happen. Yeah, I mean, he did okay with the noise, but he would come home and melt. Mm-hmm. So um, he, his first year kindergarten, he did half day. Um, and it was actually the last year that our school district did half day kindergarten. And I'm so thankful he got it because he needed that. And he only ended up having 15 kids in his class. So oh, it was like nice. the perfect thing for him. And he actually did really well. I was oh, shocked. Uh, but then first grade rolled around and it was mm. full day and he had 25 kids in his class and it was rough. He would come home and cry for almost an hour every single day. <sighs> um, so we went back to having him reassessed. He had been assessed when he was five, um, but they weren't certain what he had yet. So they gave, said he had a sensory processing disorder as well as an unspecified neurodevelopmental disorder. So it's like they knew he had something, but they couldn't put a, a name to it. Um, so he had been doing some occupational therapy and stuff like that before. Um, but when first grade hit, it was like, oh my gosh, I think maybe October. I was like, we have to do something because yeah. he's just, he's struggling. He's sad all the time. He was always in tears. It was like, there'd be tiny bridges of time where he'd mm. be happy, but it was just like a bridge from one meltdown to the next meltdown. Um, he was just overwhelmed constantly. And so we had him reassessed and they gave him the anxiety and the ADHD diagnosis as well. Um and then we had to grapple with medication. Like, mm. do we medicate him or not? Which was the hardest decision. Yeah. Hardest. Because a lot of things with ADHD are diet related, but because of his sensory issues, he really struggles with food. Oh. So like a lot of the foods that he needed to cut out were foods that were like the only things he would eat. And I don't I don't know what it's like to have older kids, but even just like my toddler if he likes a meal, I would never cut it out. Right. Because oh, exactly. it's like, he's happy. He's mm-hmm. eating. Like my husband's like, man, he wants mac and cheese again. I'm like, yep. Yep. And he'll eat and it. And he'll eat it. And we and don't have to fight it. Yeah. And it's great. Mm-hmm. So I'm like path of least resistant. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would change. Right. Cause that's, that's yeah. like the hardest thing. Well, you have to pick your battles, right? right? And like, I would much rather have him be happy and fed than hangry and you know, like miserable. Yeah. Um, so we really grappled with it for a few months. Um, And then we decided to try a very low dose of medication for him. Um, And it was amazing. Day one, 
his teacher called me after school and said, is it supposed to work this fast? I thought it was supposed to like build up in the system, but he was a different kid today. Oh, wow. And, um, Isaac came home that day and he said, mom, I finally had a happy day. I might cry a little because, oh. you know, it was like, he'd been struggling so much and mm. I could see it and I couldn't help him. Yeah. Um, and you know, he finally was able to control it and it was amazing, yeah. you know, and he said, mom, I finally had a happy day. And he went from almost qualifying for services in most subjects because he was so far behind. Um, they thought he was going to have to do summer school that year, the whole thing. And then by the end of the school year, he had not only caught up, but was ad- advanced in math. Oh my gosh. Um, his handwriting went from needing services to being better than some grown adults handwriting I've seen. Wow. Um, he used to draw red, angry faces on his papers every day. Not one time since we started medication, have the red, angry faces oh my come gosh. back. I mean, it's just been insane, uh, how night and day it's been for him. And, um, you know, I feel bad that I grappled with it as long as I did because he could have had that relief, but there's so much stigma around medicating your kiddo. And, but if you're doing it right, they're not zombies, right? Like if you have the right medicine and the right dose, they get to be more themselves, right? They get to be who they are without all the struggle. Well, and I mean, sending your kid out in the world Mm -hmm. with like without you there, I'm a, I'm a helicopter parent. Like I'm the hover uh, for sure. I mean, my son's not even two, but uh, that's me. Like we go to a park and I'm by him. There's no like, Oh, you just go play. Like that doesn't happen. And maybe it will someday, but I have a lot of anxiety already thinking about kindergarten Mm -hmm. because now he's going to be with all these other people all day long, all alone. Like what if he's hungry? What if he's sad? What if he's got hurt feelings? Like they have to start being like this human. Right. And it's like an independence that I don't know if I want him to have. Yeah, it's scary. So to, on top of that, put some other element that's making it harder and to see your son so sad and then to hear all the opinions, right? The people who don't do that, that's wrong, don't. Right. I mean, it's, you know, of course you had to take months to decide because no one is like, yeah, just figure it out. Do what's best for you. Right. Even though truthfully, that's what we should all just do is do right. what's best for you. Yeah. But there's all the voices. Oh yeah. All the voices around you. And you know, I'm really lucky. Most of the people in my life have been very supportive um, yeah. and wonderful. And I think I've also been really open about Isaac's journey. And so that's, um, it's been really cool because I've been able to talk to other moms whose kids have similar issues and they've gone on to get diagnoses and they're living better lives now too, because, um, you know, there, there's resources out there. You just have to be willing to look at your kiddo and realize that there's something that needs help, um, and needs attention and then go to work on it. And he's, like I said, almost 10 now, and he's one of the most amazing people I know. Mm. And do what's right for you. Because I think why parents shy away from that, in my experience, my opinion, is they're afraid that they're going to have to do something like medication or admit that something's wrong when if we don't shy away from it, we all just know we're all humans. Right. Like we're all a little messed up. We're just like, some of us can go faster Mm -hmm. than others and some need help. Totally. We talk to Isaac all the time about his ADHD superpowers, right? Like we Mm. are so positive about it and he knows that he can do things other people can't do because he has some of the disorders that he has. Um, I mean, the kid can focus like I've never seen when he wants to. Um, He can block out the world when yeah. he's focused enough, um, he, he, he can stay up for hours. 
yeah. hours, which is a pain, but also, you know, that'll probably serve him well. Yeah. In college when yeah. he's like studying totally. for midterms. Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, hypothetically, no, statistically, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, people with ADHD are like 200 times more likely to be entrepreneurs. Oh. Um, they tend to be innovators and, you know, they think Albert Einstein probably had ADHD and autism and, you know, so yeah. different brains are good brains. Like yeah. they're all good. So yeah. um, we just try and stay really positive and work with what we got. Yeah. So. Your second son, what's his name? I'm Benjamin. Sorry. Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Did Benjamin have any difficulties as a child or? No, Ben's been um, actually of the four. He's the only one who doesn't seem to have any neurodevelopmental differences. Um, he's a pretty typical kiddo um, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. He's Mr. Sportsy. Oh, he is. He plays mm -hmm. lots of sports. Yeah. He like, he, you give him a golf club and he knows what to do with it. You know, <laughs> you, like first time we went mini golfing and got a hole in one on the first hole. He's just that kid. He doesn't even have to try. It's so unfair. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. He's a baseball guru. He loves Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, he does? Yep. Loves him. Oh. He watches like every video on YouTube possible about Ken Griffey Jr. <sighs> Had a Ken Griffey Jr. birthday party last year. Not a baseball party. Ken, Ken Griffey, Griffey Jr. Jr. party. Yeah. Very so specific. But he loves him. Oh. He was wearing a Griffey shirt today, that kid. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. Yeah, loves baseball. I wish Ken Griffey Jr. could listen to this. I so know, he me could come too. say hi to him. I had a dream last night that we met Griffey. <laughs> so <laughs> oh funny that gosh, you said that. that. So cute. Legit had that dream. Well, hey, maybe yeah. we're putting it into yeah. the universe and it'll happen. Maybe. I think it's because Edgar's getting into the Hall of Fame today. Oh, okay. So it's all in my brain. We're a baseball guys, family. I was going to yeah. say, you're a baseball family. We are. Because I love family. Edgar and I did not know that. Yeah. Don't shame me. I won't Anybody shame who's you. Listening no or... shaming. Okay, good. I'm a, I'm a huge Seattle sports fan. Mm -hmm. All the sports. Yep. All of them. All right. So you had Isaac. You experienced some difficulties, yep. obviously. Yep. And then you had Benjamin. Yep. A little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had another boy. Another boy, Ezra. Ezra. Yep, Ezra. And you mentioned that Ezra may have some... Yeah, I'm pretty certain that we have sensory processing issues. Okay. Um, he's in feeding therapy right now because he doesn't eat anything good for him. <laughs> Literally, he'll eat wow. cheese and bread um, and a chicken nugget if it's shaped like a dinosaur. Other than that, we or sugar. Yeah, anything well, sugar, right, obviously. Um, so he does feeding therapy once a week. That we're what trying is to get. feeding therapy? So it's an occupational therapy. Um, I bring different foods every week and the therapist goes to work on it. So she'll set up a, like a obstacle course and he'll have to take a bite of a uh, carrot and then he can run around the obstacle course once or, you know, put a puzzle together and you have to do, you have to take bites in order to earn it. Or she has a swing and the gas is him eating these different foods. Mm. Um, so he can't, he has to take a bite of green bean or, you know, whatever I bring that week. Yeah. As he, did he show obviously more, cause I just think like Grayson also doesn't eat those things. Right. Like if I, he would again have like mac and cheese for the rest right. of his life. He could. And blueberries. He'll those starve like himself till he throws up. Wow. Like it's not one of those, like he'll eat when he's hungry. Like he'll starve himself until he pukes. So, um, he's very stubborn. Yeah. Very stubborn. And, um, with the sensory issues, he gags a lot. So mm. that's part of the issue. Um, the therapist thinks that he doesn't have great control of his tongue, which is probably part of his problem because if you put something in your mouth and you d can't get it back out again, like he has struggle spitting food out, um, why would you want to put it in there? Yeah. So, yeah. When did you notice that he had some sort of like difficulty with food? You know, looking back on it, he was pretty young. I didn't really key into it right away but I remember like giving him half of a piece of 
macaroni for macaroni and cheese, like half a piece. And he gagged until he threw up with the texture. Like when we were trying to move from um, purees oh. to real food. So like any sort of texture, he'd gag. Interesting. Yeah. It's very strange. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I went to the doctors once and I said, all Grayson eats is mac and cheese and quesadillas. And she's like, he's a normal kid. Yep. Totally normal. Yep. But I guess you're saying he was like denying all that. Denying. Food. Yeah. Until okay. he would throw up, like he would not concede and eat anything because he'd gag or he'd, you know. When did you decide like, okay, this is a problem though? You like know, he long? started therapy, I think in January of this year. So it's, you know, we, but we were on a waiting list for a long time. So it was probably mm. last last summer maybe okay. because his the things he was eating was getting smaller and smaller. Like he used to eat more and then he would take something he used to love and it would fall off. No, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. And then he just wouldn't eat and then he'd wake up in the middle of the night and throw up. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. Because oh, we tried man. the hard love, you know, like yeah. he'll eat eventually. No, he won't. He will literally starve himself. So. Wow. Yeah. But we're getting there. He eats apples now. So, <laughs> hey, hallelujah. Right? Yeah, we're that's taking a it. It's a, sl- it's a slow um, a slow process. He does really well at therapy now, but getting that to transition to home is a different gig. Because um, so you don't have swings and obstacle right, courses. Right, exactly. Yeah. And even if we try and do similar things, mm-hmm. it doesn't work quite as well, but that's to be expected. It just takes a little time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I always think that your kids are their worst around you. Oh, totally. Like mm-hmm. we left Grayson for a week with his grandparents. And then the day we came back, we were like, I was changing his diaper or something. And he was just losing his mind, like screaming, which to me was normal. I'm like, yep, we have to like hold him down. I have to like put my leg on top of him sometimes right. just to strap it in. Uh, it was normal for me. I was like, I did not miss this for a whole week. I promise. And they're like, he didn't do that one time. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're like, he loves his diaper being changed. I was like, do you want to come over and change it? Yeah. All right. the time. Can you just be my diaper changer? Please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can just hang out in my room yeah. and every time. So I do think your kids are worse for you. Totally. Than they are for anyone else. Yep. Totally. So that makes things like that mm-hmm. probably even harder. Yep. It is. So, um, I wasn't in the room with him, um, for his therapy. I was when Isaac went to therapy, but on purpose with feeding therapy, I'm not back there. Um, but we're getting to this point where I'm going to start going back there. I have a few times because, we need him to see that if I'm there, he can still eat. So yeah. did we'll Isaac go to food therapy? He didn't do food therapy because he was never oh, okay. as bad as Ezra is. Okay. Yeah, he's very picky about food smells, especially like if the smell of my food, uh, you know, wafts over to him, he'll have to move seats sometimes before he can eat his own food. And that's all the sensory, all the processing. sensory stuff. Yeah. He can smell food on me hours after I've eaten it. I remember we went out um, car shopping once and we stopped at, um, Dick's burgers yes. and got, <laughs> I went there today. Right? Oh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> we got, you know, burgers and a milkshake. And when I got home, my, Isaac was like, mom, did you have chocolate? No. How do you smell that on me hours later? So unfair. Oh my Chocolate gosh. shake. Smelled it. He's like a bloodhound. <laughs> well, does he like chocolate? He's like, I want He loves it. chocolate. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, so man, I got you are lucky if he doesn't like chocolate. Oh no, they all love chocolate. Of course. Yes. Everyone. I wish them. that was something I didn't like. Mm-hmm. When people are like, oh, I'm not a sweets person. Like my sister, I'm like, you're lucky. Yeah. I'm, I, a, I'm a sweets person for certain. I'm like a whole box of Krispy Kreme donut person. You're my people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my kind of thing. I love it. Okay. So you manage a lot. I do. That's, that's a lot to take on being a stepmom. Being a mom, having all those challenges that come along with motherhood, and then you work on top of that. I do. Yeah, I'm actually a manager, too. So I have um, 50-ish employees in my front end. I, I manage the front end at the grocery store I work at. So, wow. Yeah, it's a busy life. Yeah. 
How do you do it? Yeah, I just do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, um, you just put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like motherhood. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's always the thing. Like we just kind of do it. Yep. I still try to figure out how to do that. Like, I'm still like, no, no, no. I need like the step by step. Like, right. <laughs> tell me the yeah. next step I'm supposed it's to take. It's definitely not easy. Uh, and you learn as you go and you fail a lot and then you learn from it and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Aaron, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story today. Oh, thanks for inviting me too. Oh my gosh. Um, I do know a lot of moms are going to listen to this and feel at peace maybe with what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think also adding in the element of um, having a doula, having someone there to kind of help you through that birthing experience mm-hmm. can yeah. can really be a big deal as well. Totally. Um, okay. Well, I do have one last question okay. for you. I'm ready. So obviously you've been through a lot. Yes. You've got the stepmom, you've got your own kids, you've went through miscarriages. Um, what is like your one piece of advice that you would give to a mama who's listening? You know, I think the thing that I've learned most is that motherhood is never going to be what you expect. It isn't. Um, you know, you might want a kid that's into sports and you get a kid like Isaac who calls himself Isaac the geologist and you have to learn about rocks. Um, or, you know, y- you might think it's going to go one way, but it goes another. And I, you know, just research, learn and embrace it because it's going to be what it is. You can't control it. Um, and the best thing you can do for your kids and for yourself is to learn who they are, not who you want them to be, and just really allow that for them. That's so good. Yeah. Um, I do think that I can see where the pressures of that come to a mom where maybe you were into sports or maybe you were into rocks. And so you want that same thing for your child. Um, But also I just think the pressures of social media, the pressures of other moms and moms groups, like all those things um, almost can deter like a joyful experience with your child because you're so trying to put them in a box they don't fit in. Totally. Yep. Open the box. Just let them be them. Um, You know, I, I tried really hard to keep Isaac in a box when he was little and when I was struggling with all of that stuff. And once I really embraced him for who he was and we figured out all the tools, um, he's flourished um, and he knows who he is and he owns it and um, he's a wonderful person. And then Ben came along and he's polar opposite of Isaac. He's made of noise and motion. And quite honestly, I have some sensory issues with noise. So he's, he's my challenge. Um, but you know, you have to just look at him for who he is and embrace him and love that he's made of noise and motion Yeah, and learn to, uh, work within that. And then Ezra came along and he's a mix of the two. He's noise and motion and sensory issues. And, you know, and you just have to find a way to, to love them for them and not for who you wish they were or want them to be. Um, Um, And, you know, take care of yourself in the process. Yeah. Self-care. So important. Yes, it is. Erin, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews. And mamas, I love you.